Some things shouldn't be transparent, like stop signs. But what you pay for should always be clear, like Hiller's true transparency pricing, always clearly itemized and never any hidden fees. Because you have the right to know what you're paying for. For more information, visit happyhiller.com slash true transparency pricing. Happy you'll be of the services free. Call the Happy Face Truck today. On the second episode of the Ultimate Tennessee Podcast, we sit down with Ben McKee, a co-host of the Swain event in Knoxville and a writer for RockyTopInsider.com, and we get a full off-season preview from SEC Media Days. What were the big comments from Jeremy Pruitt's press conference down in Hoover, Alabama, and who are some big targets for Tennessee to look out for in recruiting? Plus, we go up against Vegas, six and a half wins for Tennessee football in 2019, We'll give you our take on what we expect from the football balls. The top stories and the top insiders on Rocky Top. This is the Ultimate Tennessee Podcast with your host, Will Bowling. You are listening to Episode 2 of the Ultimate Tennessee Podcast on the 104.5 The Zone Digital Network. Glad to have you back with us this week for another edition of of our off-season Tennessee football previews. And as always, I'm your host, Will Bowling. Well, we're joined this week out of Knoxville, Tennessee, by Ben McKee. He is the co-host of the Swain event up in Knoxville. He writes for RockyTopInsider.com. And I won't hold it against him, but he's also a big Yankees fan. Nevertheless, Ben, welcome to the show. <laughs> hey, Will, how's it going? I, uh, I figured that you would get that Yankee <laughs> in on me. You knew uh, I had to, right? That, uh, yeah, I know. But uh, just just remember, I can throw out that the Yankees had the second best record in baseball. That's right. The Braves are not too far behind, but behind uh, nonetheless. That is your right. That is your right. We, we we will allow it. We're not going to kick you off the show a minute in. Uh, time and, will and, tell. And, but and you know, you know good and well that although I am a Yankees fan, when uh, the Braves are not playing for the Yankees, I do wish for the Braves to do well. And I'm uh, I'm very happy to see the Braves having a great season. I good. would not be surprised if the Yankees and Braves. Uh, face each other in the World Series this year. It's uh, It's been cool to see the Braves have success being from Alabama. I have a lot of friends who are Braves fans, and I know uh, the turmoil they had to go through those couple of years when the Braves were just terrible. So I'm happy to see the Braves doing well and thriving. Well, I'm I'm glad now also that we've we've been able to talk a little bit of Braves in our first two episodes. I was telling you a minute ago <laughs> that uh, I, I talked a little bit of Ronald Acuna with Mike Wilson last week. So you come for the baseball talk, stay for the Tennessee analysis. That can be our unofficial tagline here on the UT podcast. But um, excited to have you on here and excited to get into a, a discussion about expectations a little bit for Tennessee. And uh, if you missed the midday 180 yesterday with myself and Chad Withrow, we talked a little bit about that on the air uh, yesterday from 10 to 2. But, Ben, I want to get your thoughts on besides a win total number, what is your expectation for what Tennessee can put on the field and an expectation for what Tennessee could maybe – Tennessee fans could finally be proud of by the end of the season this year? What, what's kind of your take on what Tennessee can do to please that fan base this upcoming season? Well, aside from a win total, obviously fans want to see 9, 10 wins, see Tennessee in Atlanta. I think any reasonable fan – uh, does not expect Tennessee to be in Atlanta uh, this season or to even win nine or ten games. But aside from a win total, like you mentioned, I, I think the key thing is not to have a repeat of the Missouri and Vanderbilt game from last year. I mean, that that was an utter embarrassment. I mean, not only are you losing to Vanderbilt uh, for the fifth time in seven years, 
but it's the way that Tennessee lost. I, I have made the argument, and Tennessee fans uh, have not been pleased to hear the argument, but that, that Vanderbilt football team was, in fact, better than Tennessee's football team. I, I believe in, in three, four, five years from now, we will look back at the rosters of those two teams, and, and we will see more NFL guys from the Vanderbilt roster than NFL guys from the Tennessee roster. So uh, I, I do believe that Vanderbilt was better than Tennessee, but it was the way that Tennessee lost that football game that was embarrassing. Uh, you, you don't dance on the sideline, which was a problem in that particular football game. You had uh, young players dancing on the sideline. Your your offensive coordinator and your head coach uh, was not on the same page, and it, it extended past just the offensive coordinator and the head coach and, and trickled down to the assistant coaches. It had an effect on the quarterback uh, at one point. Jared Garantano was was coming off the field after a third down play that was unsuccessful and kind of had his arms up in the air like, why did you call that play directed towards Tyson Helton? And Tyson Helton uh, replies back to Jared Garantano that I'm not the one calling the play. So you had a lot of dysfunction amongst the coaches, amongst the players in that football game. You had a chance to, to win that game and go to a bowl game, and you lose 13-38. to 38. I mean, that's just utterly embarrassing. The, the team did not play with effort. Uh, the, the, the team did not play as one. Uh, the coaching coaching staff was not coaching as one. And then that also had happened the week before in Newland Stadium when uh, Tennessee lost to Missouri 17-50. to 50. Just utterly embarrassing. And I've I, I made that same argument that Missouri was a better football team than Tennessee as well. Um, so aside from a win total, just don't allow that to happen again. Tennessee, it, it, again, is not going to win 9-10 games or, or whatever win. Mark, you want to see them get to to reach Atlanta, but uh, it's about how they compete in each game for me. Just do not have that embarrassing, pathetic performance in any game this year. Yes, Tennessee will lose to Alabama. Uh, Tennessee will lose to Georgia. And Tennessee may lose to Florida, but have a respectable performance in those football games and then don't lose to Vanderbilt. Don't lose to Missouri the way that you did last year. Uh, You were fortunate to beat Kentucky. Uh, have have another good performance. So so that's kind of what I'm looking for aside from a win total. Yeah, I like that answer. And kind of the route I took yesterday was that Tennessee right now is known more for what they don't have rather than what they do have, right? You know, they don't have an NFL draft pick. They don't really have a, a functional offensive line right now. In addition to that, they don't have the status of Trey Smith or Aubrey Solomon or D'Angelo Gibbs figured out right now. It seems like there are more uncertainties than certainties right now with Tennessee football, and that's a problem when you start to develop a brand and a culture for what your football program really wants to look like. And, and I thought it was interesting today, Jeremy Pruitt, in his comments at SEC Media Days, talked about recruiting and said, our best recruiters are our players and the product that we put on the football team. But right now, I think if you asked a lot of people around the country, what do you know about Tennessee football right now? The answers would be more negative than positive. So I'll pose the question to you is what kind of culture do you think that Jeremy Pruitt wants to create in year two, whether it's being able to run the football, whether it's pass rush or whatever it is. I, in my opinion, I, I think Jeremy Pruitt needs a clear image and a foundation to build on in year two, moving forward into what looks like could be a pretty good football team in year number three. Absolutely. I mean, that, that clear, um, precise, you know, image that he wants to convey, it all starts with the players. I think you have to have a player-led culture. It's part of the reason Alabama is so successful. Yes, Nick Saban is a mad man, but the players lead on both sides of the ball, whether it's this year 
by by Tua Tungavaloa on the offense or on defense is Dylan Moses. Uh, in, in years past, it's been guys like Reggie Ragland, uh, Minka Fitzpatrick, uh, your A.J. McCarrens. Yes, they are great football players, but they are also great leaders. And I think uh, Tennessee and Jamie Pruitt is trying to replicate that. Uh, sure, Tennessee fans don't really want to replicate anything from Alabama, but what what football program in the country right now isn't trying to replicate Alabama or even Clemson. We can throw Clemson into that conversation now as well. So I think Jeremy Pruitt really wants to instill a player-led program to where uh, the big decisions, obviously, Jeremy Pruitt and the coaches will make. But on a day-to-day basis, uh, the Jared Garantanos, the the Juwan Jennings, uh, the Trey Smiths along the offensive line, on, on defense, the Darrell Taylors, uh, the Nigel Warriors, the Daniel Batulis, they are leading their position groups. They are the ones leading the charge in terms of going out uh, on July 16th when it's 90-something degrees and putting that extra work in, although it's an uh, uncomfortable setting with how hot it is outside. Just getting on the jugs. Jawan Jennings uh, getting after Cedric Tillman or Ramel Keaton, the freshman this year, just leading by example. Um, you, you, you know, that's what's really been missing over the last couple of years is that, that player leadership. That was, that was Bichon's, uh, biggest kryptonite is it, the players didn't really like each other. Uh, it, there were too many clicks on the football team. And when, when you have that on your football team, in your football program, you're going to have the disaster that was 2016. And yes, Tennessee did win nine games that year, went to the Music City Bowl, um, they had some great performances against Florida, would not broke the streak. But that Tennessee football team, as we all know, was more than capable of winning eight games in the regular season. That, that was an SEC championship caliber roster. And because of the dysfunction on the roster and within the coaching staff, they were unable to achieve what they ultimately wanted to achieve. So I think it all starts with the players. And uh, if you know anything about Jeremy Pruitt, you know and you have heard the stories of your Mac Wilsons and your Ryan Anderson, him naming his son after guys. Uh, that played linebacker for him at Tennessee. And, and I think that speaks to just how great of a, a player's coach Jeremy Pruitt is. I, I think right now the biggest thing that Jeremy Pruitt needs to work on as a head coach is managing adults. But when it comes to the actual players, he does a tremendous job of putting the players in uh, positions to be successful. And I think that's a reflection of the culture that he wants to build, that being a player-led culture. Well, and one of those players is obviously going to be Jarrett Garantano, and, and you look at the stats, and I, I like to look at analytics on this show, and uh, we mentioned it last week on, on episode one, too, that the analytics love Jarrett Garantano, but but for how much they love him, they also hate Tennessee's offensive line, which we'll get to here in a minute. I, I think today, SEC Media Days, is kind of an unofficial beginning to Jarrett Garantano being the face of Tennessee's program, and, and I think back to what Butch Jones always said and how he referred to Joshua Dobbs as the CEO of Tennessee football. In my opinion, for Tennessee to be successful, Jarrett Garantano has to move into that CEO role and be the face of Tennessee football. What do you think? I don't disagree with you. I I just think that there's more of an importance on the offensive line this year. Again, it's not that I disagree with you. I I agree. Your quarterback needs to be uh, the CEO of the football team, Needs, needs to be one of your better leaders, but in order for Jared Garantano to, to live up to his potential, the offensive line has to take a step forward. I mean, there, there's numerous stats that you, uh, anybody uh, who, who knows anything about Tennessee football can, can reel off. When he's pressured, he completed 57% of his passes and averaged nine yards per attempt last year. That was the best in the country. And it, 
the amount of times that he was pressured was through the roof. So uh, I agree, Jerry Giancano needs to, you know, be the CEO, be the face of the program. And I, I think he has really improved on that since last football uh, season. You've heard uh, Jim Chaney, you've heard T. Martin, you've heard Jeremy Pruitt, Chris Winkie mentioned that time and time again when they've spoken with the media in, in spring practice. Uh, in radio interviews that Pruitt has done in Nashville and Knoxville and Alabama. Um, and, and then you also heard it today at Media Days when he spoke to the local media, when he spoke in the big room at the at the podium. Jared Garantano has taken a huge step forward in the leadership department. But unfortunately, I, I think this year uh, for 2019, the biggest issue is the offensive line. Uh, in, in order for Tennessee to uh, overachieve, expectations this year it's going to come down to the offensive line over overachieving and i think trey smith needs to be the ceo of this particular football team because of that that's a great transition too because i want to get into the comments that jeremy pruitt made today about his offensive line take a listen here this was him today at sec media days talking about the personnel right now on his offensive line I told somebody the other day this time last year we had two guys on the offensive line that weighed over 300 pounds. Now we have 15. Does that make you a football player? No, uh, it, it doesn't. But I can I can assure you this: in this league, when you start putting people up front, uh, it helps to have large men. Um, so the guys who are on our team have worked really hard to continue to grow and develop, um, and that's important because we have a young football team. Well, to me, that's a pretty ringing endorsement. I think, first of all, of Craig Fitzgerald and, and the strength staff at the University of Tennessee. It's phenomenal to get that much weight put on that many guys. But I don't know if you're really going to be able to tell a huge difference right away because I think a lot of the mistakes were mental errors and guys just you know not knowing the speed and the strength of college football. But how good can this unit be? To me, this might be a unit in this offensive line that looks drastically different by the time Tennessee takes on Vanderbilt than when they do BYU? Yeah, I, I think the, the offensive line will improve mainly because of the guys that they are adding. Uh, and Darnell Wright, five-star offensive tackle from West Virginia. Wanya Morris, borderline five-star offensive tackle from Georgia. Uh, those are two guys that Jeremy Pruitt, Will Friend, and Brian Niedemeyer went out and got Darnell Wright over Alabama. Went out and got Wanya Morris over Georgia, over Auburn. Based off of the win-loss records of Tennessee the past couple of years, Tennessee should not be winning those recruiting battles, but they did. And so because of that, as you mentioned, I think the offensive line will look drastically different when, when they play BYU compared to when they play Vanderbilt at the end of the season. And that's simply because they will be in the strength and conditioning program. Uh, Craig Fitzgerald, like you mentioned, uh, I do believe that Will Friend is a good offensive line coach. There's a lot of debate you know, surrounding whether Will Friend is a, is a good O-line coach. Will Friend and Jeremy Pruitt, uh, as everybody, everybody knows, is great friends. They, they were roommates in college at Alabama. Uh, there's a running joke that Will Friend is only on the offensive line uh, because he and Pruitt are buddies. I, I don't believe that's the case. Uh, I, I said numerous times last year that that offensive line that Tennessee put out on the field last year was not even a Division One offensive line. And, and part of that was because Brandon Kennedy – um, the starting center was, was hurt from week two on with a torn ACL, played against West Virginia, came back and tore his ACL that following Tuesday, had to miss the rest of the season. That's obviously a big piece that you're missing. Then you throw in the Trey Smith injury. Trey Smith, when healthy, uh, is a top five, top ten pick in the NFL draft, the best offensive lineman 
in the country, if not the best, one of the best. And, and unfortunately for him, he has a ton of red flags, and who knows if he is even going to play this season. Uh, Pruitt said today that Smith is hoping to play, but uh, that, that's up to the doctor's decision. Because even last year, uh, it, it was kind of the, the same scenario where it felt like he was going to play. It felt like he was doing everything to play. Uh, he did end up playing, but then as the season progressed, A, he wasn't himself. B, um, he, I mean, he couldn't finish out the season because of the blood thinners and, and um, the same issues came back up. So last year was not a Division One offensive line, in my opinion. And, again, I went on that whole monologue because you missed out on Trey Smith playing. You missed out on um, Brandon Kennedy playing, and you had to play some guys who, quite frankly, aren't SEC-caliber players. Uh, and then you also had to rely on some newcomers and Jameer Johnson, who was a Juco offensive lineman. You had to rely on Jerome Carvin, uh, who in any other circumstance would have redshirted last year. He's a talented guy, but he would have been benefited from a redshirt. Uh, so just the, the fact that Tennessee has added to its talent along the offensive line, and you are bringing back Brandon Kennedy, who is the equivalent of a starter, a, a good starter in the SEC Hopefully you bring back Trey Smith, who is the equivalent of one of the better starting offensive linemen in the country. I mean, that's four guys right there with, with Wanya Morris, uh, Darnell Wright, Trey Smith, and Brandon Kennedy. That's four or five spots right there. So the question is, where does the depth stack up? I, I think the depth is good enough to compete against the Vanderbilts, the Kentuckys, the South Carolinas of the, of the world, but it still has a ways to go in terms of competing with Alabama, Georgia, and Florida, which is where Tennessee wants to wants to be one day. I think the the time you could really tell that Tennessee was missing Trey Smith was that loss against South Carolina. And for as many blowouts as Tennessee was in last year, they, they lost their games by a, a, an average margin of 26 points per contest, which is also need a, a stat that really needs to change in, in 2019. I think that was the game they really wanted back, was that South Carolina game. And I think with Trey Smith in there, of course, you can always say the what-if game, but... I, I'd, I'd hard to believe that Tennessee loses that game with Smith in there. I, I think he's probably the most important player for Tennessee in 2019. Him and Jarrett Garantano, I think, are clearly the two most important guys. What's kind of your gut feeling on his status for this season? I know it's hard to speculate based on you know no official comments being made. Uh, Austin Price was on our airwaves yesterday and said he's on record that he thinks Trey Smith will start at left guard. What's kind of the feeling and the vibe out of Knoxville right now of maybe his status moving forward? That he'll play. Uh, I mean, that's not official. I just mentioned um, just a moment ago that Jeremy Pruitt said today that Trey Smith is wanting to play, but that is still in the hands uh, of the doctors. So there has not been a decision, but it, it, it just seems, as Pruitt said, Trey Smith is doing everything he can uh, to play. And we have Austin Price on the Swain event every Tuesday at 9.15, and Austin has repeatedly said that you know, Trey Smith is doing everything that he possibly can except for contact work. And that was more so during the spring. He, he was working out. He was in shoulder pads. He just wasn't going through with the contact in practice. But in terms of the strength and conditioning program, Trey, Trey Smith is participating in everything. Uh, so uh, he is trying everything, doing everything in his power to make sure he's out on the football field this year. So because of that, I mean, it's just hard to think that he wouldn't play. Well, Ben, we're getting to kind of shift gears a little bit here towards kind of the business end of the recruiting season now where there's going to be a lot of commitments as school kind of starts. A lot of guys prefer to have this that decision done before their senior season begins. Uh, and a couple of guys I, I want to bring up specifically, the Tennessee might be getting good news from 
uh, specifically Tyler Barron, a guy that's moved from Innsworth into Knoxville, Knoxville Catholic. Uh, you look at him, uh, Jalen Hyatt, uh, and even Rakeem Jarrett, a, a big-time target for Tennessee right now. And, and I've seen the buzz, too, that Tennessee might be expecting good news from some big-time guys coming soon. Do you think the Tennessee fans can expect to hear any good news in the recruiting trail coming up soon? Oh, absolutely. It's just a matter of, of when Tennessee is trending well with uh, Tyler Barron. He is the son of Patrick Abernathy, who works in player development for Jeremy Pruitt. Uh, as you mentioned, the four-star defensive end from here at Knoxville Catholic, trans- transferred from Innsworth. Uh, one of his good buddies, Keyshawn Lawrence, has already committed. Um, he, he is an absolute stud, big-time defensive end. Uh, and I, I would expect at some point he is in the boat for Tennessee. Uh, I, I would kind of be surprised if he chose to go elsewhere. Uh, Jalen Hyatt is a, a name that is very important to Tennessee's recruiting. Obviously, uh, Rakeem Jarrett, Eric Gilbert are, are the two big names, and Eric Gilbert is listed as a tight end on the recruiting rankings, but Tennessee is more so recruiting him as a wide receiver and somebody who can also line up on the line, but uh, Tennessee is interested in splitting him out wide. And Rakeem Jarrett gets all the buzz, but Jalen Hyatt, three-star receiver from Dutch Fork High School in Irmo, South Carolina, decommitted from Virginia Tech at the end of last month. He is good friends uh, with former teammate Bryce Thompson, Tennessee's current, uh, you know, all-SEC potential corner. I I really like Bryce Thompson on a separate note, but uh, Bryce Thompson is really good friends with Jalen Hyatt. Uh, again, they went to high. They played high school ball together in South Carolina. Hyatt is a speedster, uh, runs a four three one forty. At least that's what uh, the legend tells us. And, and so that is that is something that this Tennessee football desperately needs, and specifically the wide receiver room. Uh, the running back room added speed with Eric Gray uh, this past recruiting cycle. Ty Chandler is a pretty quick back as well. Uh, Tennessee will look to continue to address the speed. At running back, but when you look at the receivers, and yes, there are four receivers that are seniors this year, and it will be a completely different receiving room next year. But the receiving room still lacks speed, uh, the speed necessary to, to really uh, produce the plays to, to get Tennessee to where they want to be. And Jalen Hyatt is a guy that absolutely would improve the team speed and, and the position speed at receiver. So he's a name to watch for. Uh, and then you mentioned Rakeem Jarrett. I mean, the guy's an absolute stud. I mean, he starts on day one. And uh, today, Jeremy Pruitt mentioned the fact that Tennessee does have those four senior receivers and that, that if, I was a, if I was a receiver in high school, you know, Tennessee would be a great place to come play right now. That was 100% uh, directed towards um, Rakeem Jarrett. Uh, in the D.C. area, it is committed to LSU. Um, I think that's more of a formality at this point. I think uh, he is not decommitted yet uh, simply to, to keep the pressure of LSU fans off of his back. Uh, that is a race that is between Tennessee and Maryland, and some folks may scoff at Maryland, uh, but Maryland is a legitimate player there. But uh, I think Tennessee is really trending well with him. And then I think the other name to really watch for right now, uh, all the talk around Haynes King, the, the four-star dual-threat quarterback from Texas. He is an absolute stud. Uh, when you talk to, to recruiting guys behind the scenes, some view him as potentially the best quarterback in the country. And Tennessee already has Harrison Bailey committed. Uh, he is a four-star quarterback from the state of Georgia, teammates of Eric Gilbert, uh, teammates of B.J. Ojolari, who is a priority edge rusher, uh, edge prospect that Tennessee is after, and Ramel Keaton, uh, true freshman receiver. He played with uh, Harrison Bailey last year in high school. Many view Haynes King better than Harrison Bailey. 
and, and so there's been a lot of speculation as to, to if Harrison Bailey would move on if Tennessee takes the commitment of Haynes King. Um, Harrison Bailey was made aware that Tennessee wanted to bring in two quarterbacks well before the recruitment of Haynes King ever took place. And then obviously Haynes King was well aware of Harrison Bailey already being on the commitment list when Tennessee first started recruiting him. So that is another name to watch for. Now, um, a month ago, at the end of May, Tennessee had all the buzz with Haynes King, uh, and he really wanted to make a commitment before the Elite 11 happened. Uh, and that happened two weeks ago. And the, the longer his recruitment goes on, the more I feel as if he ends up at Texas A&M. He's a Texas native. We all know the pool of Texas football schools. Um, and, the, again, the longer that one goes on, the more I feel he ends up at Texas A&M. But Tennessee is a real player for him. I mean, he's an absolute stud, and I said this on the Swain event, is that he is the picture-perfect uh, quarterback recruit for me. He, he, I mean, he fits my mold. He plays basketball. Uh, he runs the 400, 4 by 400 relay, throws the discus. Uh, he's an accurate quarterback. Uh, he plans to graduate early and enroll uh, at his school of choice in January. Threw for 3,800 yards last year, 42 touchdowns, four interceptions, uh, and has only one loss as a starting quarterback in two seasons in Texas high school football. So Haynes King is another name to watch for as well. What is a reasonable expectation, do you think, for this recruiting class? Because I kind of get the vibe that with the staff that Jeremy Pruitt has in Knoxville, I think top five to top ten might just become the norm for Tennessee. And I think given a lot of those names you've talked about and the in-state talent that's already committed to the Vols for the 20, uh, 2020 cycle now, I Sometimes I just can't believe that the kids are graduating in 2020. And nevertheless, um, you know, what do you think the reasonable expectation is for this recruiting class, but also kind of the standard that Jeremy Pruitt is setting in recruiting for years to come? Yeah, it, it makes me feel really old to know that uh, <laughs> know, he is recruiting 2020, <laughs> 2021, 2022. I mean, I just feel really old. Um, and I know you are in that same boat with me. Uh in the future, it's going to be top five classes. I mean, you're not paying uh, T. Martin the money that you're paying him, Derek Ansley the money that you're paying him uh, to to land top 10, top 15 recruiting classes. Those are really nice recruiting classes, but it, it's kind of like the, the new expectations on Rick Barnes with his new contract. Um, yes, what Rick Barnes has done has been really great, and he has overperformed and, I mean, exceeded expectations. I mean, Rick Barnes has been terrific. But now with a new contract with a whole lot of money, being a top-five paid coach in all of college basketball, there, there's new expectations. And so I think that will be the same situation for Jeremy Pruitt as time goes on. Right now, it, it is still, you know, a top-ten expectation, top-12 expectation. And I, I do think that Tennessee will end up with a top-ten recruiting class somewhere around 7th or 8th. And unfortunately, in the SEC, that's still not good enough to beat Florida, to beat Georgia, to beat Alabama on an annual basis. But back to what I was saying is they're not paying Derek Ansley and T. Martin, Brian Niedermeyer, who needs a raise ASAP, the, the one of the best up-and-coming recruiters yep. in the entire, entire country, and he's one of the lowest-paid members of the staff. That needs to change ASAP. You have David Johnson, you have Chris Winkie, uh, Chris Rump, Tracy Rocker, you have a phenomenal recruiting staff. And Jeremy Pruitt is one of the best recruiters in the entire country himself. So at some point, expectations are going to shift. And I believe those expectations will shift 
when when the wins come on the football field. Because if you think about it, all of these coaches, uh, and when I say all these coaches, I, I re- I'm referring to Tennessee recruiting against Alabama, recruiting against Auburn, A&M, LSU, Georgia. They're all selling Tennessee or selling these recruits on the same thing. They, they all have the great facilities. They all have the great coaches. Um, the, they all have the great alumni base that can help them after football. They can all help get them to the league. Um, but the, the one difference between Tennessee and the rest of those schools is Tennessee is two years removed from its worst year in program history going 4-8. and eight. Tennessee is a year removed from going 5-7, and seven, and those two embarrassing losses to, to uh, Missouri and Vanderbilt that I mentioned earlier. Those other schools are playing for championships. Um, there's a lot of expectations and hype and talk around those schools potentially making it to the playoffs. So, again, those expectations will shift as the wins come. Because right now I do think it's a little bit unrealistic to expect uh, Tennessee to recruit in the top five with Alabama, Georgia, Ohio State, uh, if the product on the field isn't there. And as they build these recruiting classes, slowly but surely the on-field results will come. And with that, expectations will change. And at some point, they will be in that top five, in my opinion. The, the recruiting staff is just too good not to be. So Ben Westgate puts the over-under at six and a half games for Tennessee's win total this year. And if I'm a betting man, which I'm thankfully not, I, uh, I, I, especially not with college sports, I, I can't, can't rely on 20-year-olds to make me anything, uh, much less professionals. I, I'm betting on the Vols, honestly, and I I think a lot of people wouldn't have said that a year or two ago, but I, I see five losses there for Tennessee right now with the two swing games outside of the big three you expect to lose of, of Georgia, Alabama, Florida. I would say the swing games being those rest of the games of the SEC East plus the game against Mississippi State. I, I think Tennessee is good enough to get a win against Vanderbilt, Kentucky, South Carolina, Mississippi State, and Missouri, but I think they probably split that five three and two i don't see them winning four out of those five games do you think that six and a half number is fair and kind of what what, what's your gut feeling right now on those those five swing games i discussed to the sec no i i have literally the same exact thought as you do that that is a (laughs) uh, great uh, minds a six seven win schedule if i've ever seen one um i'm with you I, i do think tennessee loses alabama georgia florida uh tennessee talent wise just isn't there right just yet. Uh, if there is a game that Tennessee picks off on that trio, it is obviously Florida. Florida has some concerns along the offensive line. That's a game that's early in the season. If Florida's offensive line just craps the bed, then there, there's no telling what uh, Tennessee can do in that football game, uh, especially when you have a guy like Darrell Taylor, who is experienced, who I am expecting a big season out of. He can single-handedly uh, win Tennessee that football game if Florida's offensive line struggles uh, the way some expect it do early on in the season but to me the season comes down to those five games that you mentioned uh, Mississippi State South Carolina Kentucky Missouri Vanderbilt those are the five swing games for me and everybody's going to look at Kentucky and say oh they lost everybody um you know it's a good that's, team. that's not that, that's back to back to old Kentucky they're, they're going to stink that's not the case uh, they just don't have the household names of the Benny Snells yep. uh, of the Josh Allen's but they're still going to be a, a fairly good football team by Kentucky standards. So that's a 50-50 game. It's on the road. Um, Vanderbilt, I, I do expect that one to be a win, obviously. I think South Carolina is a 50-50 game. Um, South Carolina seems to underperform with Jake Bentley at quarterback. So I don't know what to expect out of South Carolina. They have a lot of returning starters. But, again, it seems as if 
Uh, Jake Bentley disappoints every year based off preseason expectations. Uh, folks are looking at that Mississippi State defense and expecting a step back similar to uh, Kentucky. I think that under Bob, Bob Shoup that that defense has enough players uh, to, to still be good enough to win football games. And, you know, they, they do lose Nick Fitzgerald, but they have Keaton Thompson, who uh, is as good of a dual-threat quarterback as Nick Fitzgerald was, and some believe is a better passer. And then they also add Thomas Stevens, the quarterback transfer from Penn State, who uh, has apparently been really impressing in summer workouts. So that's not a guaranteed win. And uh, I would even go as far to say as BYU necessarily isn't a guaranteed win. Uh, that's not necessarily a 50-50 game, but it wouldn't surprise me if Tennessee lost that game. So I think it comes down to those five that I mentioned, the five SEC games that I mentioned, and I'm with you. I, th- I think they go three and two. Uh, I definitely think they lose to Missouri on the road. I, I am very high on Missouri Me too. this season. Yep. Uh, I-, I don't really know the other games that Tennessee is going to lose out of that five-game stretch. Uh, I'm confident they beat Vanderbilt. I'm confident they lose to Missouri. Uh, and then with Kentucky, South Carolina, and Mississippi State, you know, either result, a win or a loss, would not surprise me. So I, I've just kind of broke it down as I know they're losing the big three, and I think they win one and lose one that they aren't supposed to. Well, of course, last year we would have chalked up Auburn as one of those definite losses, mm-hmm. and probably yep. Vanderbilt as a definite win. So, and you you flip those two, and you know anything can happen. But uh, real quick, kind of as we finish up here, Ben, the over under of Jeremy Pruitt's opening statement today probably would have been around ten minutes. He went 21 minutes and 15 seconds. Were you impressed that he could talk that long without even taking a breath? <laughs> uh, I mean, just ridiculously impressed. I did not know he had that many words in his vocabulary. And I don't say that as like <laughs> as me thinking he is dumb or anything. I just, he does not like to talk to the media. No. And, you know, I don't necessarily blame him. And I think that's a good thing for Tennessee fans. If, if you watched him on uh, the SEC Network broadcast after his um, stop at the podium, Marcus Spears said he prefers that all day long rather than what Bush Jones brought to the table and was up there uh, just, you know, rallying off stats. And we know how the Bush Jones experience went uh, at SEC Media Days. But if you're a Tennessee fan, you have to like that, that that he doesn't really like doing these media stops. He's a football coach. He wants to recruit. He wants to coach football. And he wants to do everything that it takes to get his football program back to where it needs to be. So I was very impressed. I had no idea he could talk that long. I didn't. I did not expect that whatsoever. Uh, he's a smart man. I definitely did not expect 21 minutes of a filibuster from Jeremy Pruitt. If you would have asked me um, before SEC Media Days which coach was going to have the shortest filibuster, I definitely would have said Jeremy Pruitt. And, and the <laughs> fact that he is probably going to end up with the longest one absolutely stuns me. You know, Darinoka was uh, unofficially saying that he's got the the longest ever right afterwards. So uh, very uh... – impressive day uh for him for sure well thanks so much for uh for joining us ben before we let you go where can everybody find your work whether it's on the radio or uh online up there in knoxville yeah man i appreciate you having me on it's always good to speak to you uh for those who don't know will and i are very good buddies that's right just a a one-time conversation will (laughs) and i speak pretty frequently so uh, i am happy for all of his success there in nashville i think he does great things but if anybody wants to torture themselves and follow my work, they can follow me on Twitter <laughs> at BenMcKee14. Uh, as Will mentioned off the top, I am the co-host and producer of the Swain event with uh, former Tennessee wide receiver Jason Swain. We're on every morning. You can listen kind of whatever way you want to. We're on Facebook Live. We're on Periscope Live. We're on the radio, 100.9 FM in Knoxville. We're on Periscope. I mean, literally any way you want to listen to you can. Swain has an app, the Swain event app. You can download it. 
and stream us live. You can stream us from a, from his website. Uh, so so there's one way to get a hold of my work, and then I also write for Rocky Top Insider uh, and, and do a couple of podcasts with Nathaniel Rutherford. So Rocky Top Insider, the Swain event, is how you can follow my work, and I'm on Twitter at McKee 14 Well, good stuff, man. We appreciate the time, and we'll certainly probably get back to you down the road if you ever uh, ever want to come back with us here on the UT podcast. But uh, we will talk to you down the road. Thanks so much, Ben. Absolutely. Uh, I'm here for you anytime you need me, buddy. <laughs> Thank you, man. Hey, well, that's going to do it for episode number two of the UT podcast. Thanks again to Ben McKee for joining us on this episode. Make sure you subscribe and check us out wherever you get your podcasts, whether it's Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, or Stitcher. And you can also find us online at 1045thezone.com. Next week, we continue our recruiting off-season conversations. We'll have an interview with Knoxville Catholic offensive lineman and Tennessee football commitment Cooper Mays, a little brother at Cade Mays, and a future Tennessee football offensive lineman. He will be my guest next week on the UT Podcast, so make sure you subscribe, and that way all of these shows will download directly to your smartphone.